There are four resurrection accounts in the four Gospels as well as the accounting of St. Paul in his letters. And this morning we are going to read from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 28, verses 1 through 10 and then 16 through 20. May God open up to us an understanding of this word. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descending from heaven came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. For fear of him... The guards shook and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. I know that you were looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has been raised, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then quickly go and tell his disciples, He has been raised from the dead, and indeed he is going ahead of you to Galilee. And there you will see him. This is my message for you. So they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came to him, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. There's an old Easter tradition going back a thousand years to the early medieval Catholic church called Rhesus Pascalis, What it means literally is Easter joke. It seems in those days that the early Christians would actually fast during the 40 days of Lent, giving up almost everything they enjoyed. And those who were to join the church, the confirmands, would spend those 40 days of Lent in the catacombs learning the catechism so that On Saturday, they would come up and then spend all of Saturday and Saturday night in the Saturday vigil, waiting for the breaking of the dawn on Easter morning. When that dawn came, along with it, the first Easter mass, the people were exhausted and the priests were slap happy. And so they started telling jokes to begin the service to get people more energized. This went on until those jokes 
devolved into becoming more and more ribald and edgy until the Pope, as Popes tend to do, put his foot down and stopped them from doing it forever. I think it's time for us to bring the practice back. (laughs) There was this prudent, pure, and practically perfect Presbyterian woman who liked alliteration, who owned a powerful parrot named Polly. Polly was practical, practically perfect in every way, too, except for one tragic flaw. Every time she met someone new, she would squeak out, Whoopee, Charlie, I'm a good-time girl. Now, this drove the practically perfect Presbyterian Roman crazy and mortified, especially when her practically perfect pastor came to see her. Prudent as he was, as soon as he walked through the door, the Polly the parrot blurted out, Whoopee, Charlie, I'm a good time, girl. She was so embarrassed, she didn't know what to do, and so she complained to her pastor who said, Look, I think I have a remedy. I have two really perfect parrots in my study back at church and all they do all day long is pray. If we bring Polly down to those two parrots, I bet you that there'll be a good influence on her and she'll change her tune. So she relented, he took the parrot in the cage, went to a study, walked through the door and laid the the cage on his tabletop. Polly looked up and saw the two parrots, their heads bowed reverently in prayer and lets out, whoopee, Charlie, I'm a good time girl. At which point one of the parents raised his head just a little bit, cocked it to the right, opened his right eye, looked at her, then took his wing and nudged the other parrot saying, Luke, wake up. I think our prayers are finally being answered. Now, except for those who were in the 8.30 service and knew the punchline, to those of you who didn't, the surprise came at the end. It shifted your footing. It was unanticipated. At the risk of turning the greatest story ever told into nothing more than a parrot story, let me say that that is exactly what is intended to happen about this story of the risen Christ on Easter It comes to us as a completely surprising moment, and it is unanticipated. Easter is meant to bring us to our feet in hilarity and laughter. The great cosmic joke of God playing out upon the powers of darkness and death comes as a complete surprise ending to us, or at least it should But the difference in the story of Easter and the joke is that laughter is not what is first evoked. But if you remember the story, it's fear. Fear is what first comes in this story. Laughter follows, but fear precedes it. A fear that sent them on the ground in holy terror, knocking them off their feet. 
Now, as I read these stories, I can't help but imagine or I'm drawn to the issue of the feet, their feet. All the feet in this story, it seems to me, are the nuances that make this story so poignant. Matthew's gospel especially gets played out with the feet of those women. Two Marys, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. How'd you like to be called the other Mary? Make their way to the tomb with leaden feet when the dawn started breaking. They had been there on Friday afternoon. They had watched the body of Jesus being taken off the cross. They had followed stone-like as they put him in the tomb. They were so distraught they couldn't stand up anymore. They sat down and watched. And then it was the Sabbath and they made their way. Can you just imagine how hard it was for them to walk back home? They made their way back beginning of Passover on Friday evening, and during that Saturday, they rested in grief and loss. Somehow on Sunday morning, early, they were able to get enough wherewithal to move their feet again and grope their way through the darkness back to the tomb to see it, to see it. There's something about seeing the place where someone has died or been buried that we hope will bring things to closure. And in the going there, at least the first time, you always go there with leaden feet. I can't help but think of those family members who made their way to the mountains in France last week when they went to see the dead burial place for their own family members after that insane, tragic airline crash. Emily Dickinson wrote in a wonderful poem, After great pain, a formal feeling comes. The nerves sit ceremoniously like tombs. The feet, mechanical, go round a wooden way of ground or air or aught. With nerves entombed in grief, hearts heavy with fear, feet like stone, they mechanically stumbled and prodded their way until they finally got to the tomb just to see it, Matthew said. When they got there, a complete reversal. There was an earthquake. Not an earthquake, an earthquake, a seismic earthquake way past six or seven on the Richter scale. It was cosmic in scope from heaven to earth. It rent everything in two. It was the second quake in Matthew. The first happened when Jesus breathed his last and died on the cross. But this quake was different. This quake upset and overturned everybody's understanding of what life and death was all about. And it knocked. It knocked the guards to their feet. They fell over like dead men, Matthew says. And it knocked the women to their feet too because it pulled everything that they had been standing on out from under them. Matthew's gospel says that they were all terrified and afraid as an angel came sitting on the stone and the stolen was rolled away. 
the thing about fear is it petrifies us, it paralyzes us, it numbs us to the core. Hit the dirt, hunker down in your safe place and bury your heads in the sand, play possum if need be, don't move. There's plenty in this world to threaten us, but even without overt threat, change itself is bad enough. Preacher met with an older parishioner who was complaining about all the changes going on in the church, and he pastorally tried to explain to her that this was about progress. And she said, Look, I'm all for progress, it's just change I don't like. I have a grandfather who died a while back who had this disease called neuropathy. His feet grew numb, I think because he had them injured in an elevator accident as a young man, but it can happen through diabetes or any other number of reasons. You lose feeling in your feet, and so he would walk around and slap his feet on the floor. You could always hear him coming. He had no feeling in them. And it strikes me that there is more than one way to have neuropathy. You can also have neuropathy of the soul and the spirit and your emotions that grow numb. Numb because we are so fearful and anxious and afraid. We don't move our feet anymore and we no longer step out in trust and hope. We're suffering from spiritual numbness. Fear can do that. In 1963 in Atlanta, during the integration issue in question, the ministers of the Peachtree Carter congregations came together to write Minister's Manifesto, which, when they signed it, said that they were for integration, not segregation, and equality for all people. They met at one of the larger socially uh, uh, present churches downtown, and Martin Luther King Sr. was there, Daddy King, as they called him, And the ministers signed this manifesto one by one, and then it came to this one minister who was in a really big steeple church, and he knew that this was going to cause a lot of conflict for his parishioners. And he stood there with his pen in his hand, and he couldn't sign his name. And and Daddy King came over and put his shoulder, hand on his shoulder, and said to him, John, it's okay. I know you're just scared. It freezes us, it petrifies us into action. Which is why the first words out of the angel's mouth sitting on that tomb were these. Do not be afraid. And the punchline immediately rises up and you can just start feeling the first uh, tings of laughter rising up in in the stomachs of those women too. Wait a minute, he said, do not be afraid. And then he goes on to say, you've come looking for Jesus. He's not here. He's not here. In fact, he goes before you to Galilee. So get up back on your feet again and go tell the disciples that they will find him there in Galilee. Which is code word for life. The place they started from was Galilee. The place they raised their children was Galilee. The place they did their work was Galilee. It's life. It's Jacksonville. It's wherever you are in life. That's where he goes. Now your job is to go out and tell those disciples that they can meet him there. 
so, they found their footing, Matthew says, and they ran to tell the disciples just that. And as soon as they rounded a corner, bam, they run smack dab into the risen Christ. And again, they hit the ground, but this time not so much in terror as in awe and wonder. And we are told that they begin to worship him and reach out and hold his feet. And Jesus says to them, I love this. Jesus says, greetings. I mean, it's like, hello, how you doing? He's been crucified and now raised, and he is so completely non-anxious about it, it's like, greetings. It's a sign field. We're supposed to laugh. And they held on to his feet, and Jesus says to them, don't, don't do that. Stand up back on your feet. Oh, those feet. Those feet that he had washed the Thursday night on Maundy Thursday. He knew them well. Those feet that he loved and cared for. As they held his feet, those feet that were wounded from being crucified, those feet that had been calloused from walking those dusty roads, those feet that Mary had anointed with her tears and later with oil, they knew those feet well too. Get back up on them, Jesus said, and go tell the disciples that they will meet me in Galilee. Who knows why we are here today? I mean, we are here because we hope against hope that this, in fact, is true. Or maybe we're here having long six giving up on that hope just to hear some good Easter music. Maybe we're here as a way to ritualize Easter, kind of like the Easter bunny or part of the rite of spring. But it might be, I think, that we're also here because we're looking for something to stand on. We've lost our footing and we have been knocked off our feet by a world that makes us afraid. Maybe, maybe just bored. We're here looking for courage and hope enough to get back up on our feet and back out into the game of life. And even for the most cynical and skeptical of us, I think we're all afraid. We're afraid of death and we're afraid of life. We're afraid for our safety and our family security, for our economic security. We are afraid of terrorism, of government. We're even afraid of ourselves and God. We're afraid to fully invest ourselves. As a 37-year-old man I know in Atlanta, who's been in a relationship for six years, cannot pull the trigger and ask her to marry him because he is too afraid of commitment. Maybe what we are most afraid of is that this story is true. If it is, you see, then we are afraid of the faith that it will be required of us to live up to it. We might be scared of how it will raise us up back on our feet and send us out into the world to care for those out there like Jesus did. We might be afraid of the commitment that this draws from us to search thoughtfully 
serve passionately, live joyfully, and follow Christ. Whatever it is, something brought you, something moved your feet, our feet, to get here today, whatever that is. And I suggest that that is that, in Beekner's world, that wild courage, that gladness of the heart that sets our feet moving and sends us out into a life that waits to be fully embraced. Friends, if Easter means anything, it means this. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid of the future. Jesus isn't here. He's there, out there. He goes before us every single step of the way. Before us, even in Golgotha's deaths and Galilee's lives, calling for us to follow. The final punchline is that we will rise up. We will rise up on eagles' wings, and we will laugh. We will laugh so hard that the only tears that will be flowing will be tears of laughter. So let's do it. Amen.